Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture. It's in the end. Everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner, and I'm with Sammy Main, as always. Sammy. Mm -hmm. Hi. And we are in Brooklyn. We are. Which is a nice change of pace. You're in my hood, Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The other Manhattan. Much shorter trip for you. Sure. Uh, And because we are very excited to be at Gimlet Media headquarters with Matt Lieber, co-founder and president of Gimlet Media. Matt, thank you so much for having us. Thanks for coming. Welcome to Gimlet. This is our episode where we were going to podcast about podcasting, so you were the first folks we thought of. Uh, And what's funny is I was just listening, going back almost exactly a year ago this time, we were talking to Ira Glass uh, on the podcast, and he was saying that... The Godfather. Yes, and he was... uh, (laughs) I like that it's not the Godfather of podcasting. It's just just the Godfather. (laughs) He's he's really big in organized crime, actually. Uh, It's a little known fact. uh, (laughs) But he was... Less than optimistic about the state of uh, podcast advertising because he didn't feel that <laughs> he felt the audiences had grown substantially in a yes. relatively short amount of time, but that the dollars and that the variety of non-direct response clients uh, that were backing those advertisers was not keeping pace. How do you feel about it, uh, especially over the past year? Uh, I think I think Ira is right about almost everything in podcasting, but I think he's wrong about that. I mean, so look, by the the whole history of media is that media businesses is that first people change the way they spend their time and they move to a new medium and then the advertising dollars follow so that's normal and i would say the just like in every other new medium the advertising dollars has followed and if you if you listen to price waterhouse cooper's which cooper which does sort of the the preeminent global media and entertainment study they will tell you that advertising revenue in podcasts grew 85% last year so 2017 it was about a quarter billion dollar um, ads business, and then we're going to find out soon what it will be for 2018, and I expect it to have grown at a very healthy rate. In terms of the variety of advertisers, do you feel like it has grown to the level that you would like to see beyond direct response, beyond go here and enter promo code podcast name? Yeah, more than half our business is brand advertisers. So it's advertisers like Ford Motor Company and Virgin and Dell, MasterCard, Reebok. Um, and so we have, and we've been very intentional about that. Part of the idea when we started the company was invest heavily in really high quality shows that we can grow into franchises and then attract brand advertisers and do everything you need to do to make them 
them successful. And part of that means setting up a creative services organization. It's called Gimlet Creative. It's an audio agency. They make all the ads that appear on Gimlet. And we try to really deliver on brand goals. And we have a whole client service organization set up to give them what they expect from an agency, like approvals and collaboration and great breakthrough creative. So we've worked really hard to do that. And the brands are coming in. And we have more this year than we had last year. And I expect we'll have more next year. The What's funny to hear you describe the process that goes into the ads on Gimlet is that they come across so almost lackadaisically casual. Mm-hmm. And yet, so it's funny to hear about the science behind this, what comes across being very casual in the way the ads are presented. If any, if a podcast is done well, it always feels like, oh, it's so natural and easy breezy. And like, they were just telling me a story and it had the right pacing and it got me, it hooked my interest and then it paid it off. And, oh, I learned something new. That is a result of like very, very hard work and a lot, at least the way the Gimlet does it, a lot of editing and care and production. That's what we think sets us apart. So, but it always should, it shouldn't feel like it's some like perfect Fabergé egg. It should feel just natural. It should feel almost like conversation. We treat the ads the same way. Part of the idea was we spend a lot of time obsessing about what works in audio, but how to structure a story, how to get across an emotional, how to create a, a kind of feeling and how to use pacing and sound and writing and voice to do that and music. And part of the idea was we can translate that and do it for brands too. So I think podcasting is a, it's a, like audio is just a great medium for advertising because it's very personal and it's all happening in your imagination. And so um, that creates a sense of memory and affinity that is hard to do on like a little box on a screen that you're spending two seconds scrolling through on your mobile phone. Um, but when you have 60 seconds in stream natively, um, then it tends to leave an impression. And when we do the, um, and so I think that's true of podcast ads in general. It's true of live reads. We don't really do live reads. We do a lot of our advertising is host read, but it's produced. Like we're really trying to tell a story in it. I'm sure Sammy has a lot of questions. I wanted to ask one, uh, and then I'll kind of pass it over to you because the big picture, I'm curious, when you set out to create Gimlet versus what it became now, how different are those two things? Not that different. It's funny, like a lot of what we set out, a lot of what we've done is kind of fulfilling on the idea. Like the idea was there's a new medium getting born, and when new mediums are born, new media companies get built, and it requires new kinds of storytelling, new kinds of talent, a new business model. And our idea was to build the HBO of audio. So tell stories of superlative quality that like hook that get to big audiences and are really high integrity and are interesting. And that's what we've done. I would say the biggest surprise has, so Gimlet, just to give you kind of what Gimlet is now, we have three parts of the business. We have shows that we make, um, like Reply All, which is one of the biggest tech shows, like Startup, which is one of the biggest business shows, um, and Crime Town, Homecoming, which is our scripted thriller starring Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac. Um, we have that's the first part of the business 
shows that we own and operate, and they have advertisements in them. The second part is Gimlet Creative, which is the agency that helps brands find their voice in audio. We make all the ads on Gimlet. We also make original podcasts for brands. So we make a show for Gatorade featuring Serena Williams and Peyton Manning about how to become a great athlete. We make a show for MasterCard about the future of money. We make a show for Blue Apron uh, about the anthropology of food, which just got nominated for a James Beard Award. Not not the branded content section of the James Beard Awards, which I don't think exists, but like a James Beard Award. <laughs> For, for for audio. And then the third part of the business, which has been the biggest surprise, is Gimlet Pictures, which is which takes the um, the stories that we make in audio and then develops them for television and film. And so we had a comedy on ABC called Alex Inc., which was based on our show Startup. And then we have a show coming this fall to Amazon uh, based on Homecoming, starring Julia Roberts that's being showrun by Eli Horowitz, who created the show um, with us. Um, he created the podcast with us. And there's more coming. So though that's sort of where Gimlet is today. And the biggest surprise is TV and film. We did not expect to be in the TV business. Um, but what we found, what we kind of happily stumbled into was the fact that we're an IP machine. And a lot of the way we're thinking about stories kind of map, seems to map to television because they're like eight or ten episode seasons. Um, the fiction that we're doing, they have character arcs. Um, they have plot and suspense. And the thing that everyone in this building thinks a lot about is, like, how do stories work? And um, and the TV markets are just very, um, very active right now. And so it created an opportunity for com- to, for us to come in and license and produce television. Something I'm curious about, and, like, besides the million questions, I'm a nerd and a podcast nerd, and we've talked before about right. all of that. But it, what do you think changed the game for podcasts like for making it this kind of business or like you said an ip machine like was there a turning point like i think for a long time people thought podcasts were like two dudes in their basement talking about headlines or like whatever from that week (laughs) so like what do you think kind of changed the game what what made it what it is now for you guys specifically a couple things happened around the time we started the company and one was you had like Apple hard-baked the iOS, the Mm. podcast app onto iOS, so it was natively installed on every iPhone. Serial came on the scene and was just from, uh, you know, Ira Glass and Sarah Koenig and that whole crew and just became like a cultural phenomenon and I think woke people up. It brought new people who started listening to podcasts and at the end of Serial they were like, what should I listen to next? And, And then there's just been an explosion of new kinds of innovative content and some of it's done by us but a lot of it's done by other folks and I think it's become a really interesting place where it's kind of the it's kind of it's where the most interesting stuff in media is happening because you can take a lot of creative risk in podcasting like you guys you're taking a lot of like you can kind of say whatever you want you don't need a big infrastructure around you you don't need huge amounts of investment and there aren't gatekeepers so you can take a lot of creative wit risk and do really interesting work without having to take a ton of business risk and i think that has led to just really interesting forms of content that are now being invented that segues to something i've been you know fascinated by especially over the past year is it feels like i bet early on the decision to end a show was probably incredibly difficult and i doubt it's gotten a whole lot easier but you guys have you know have taken shows certain shows offline uh, and decided we're not going to bring it back for a season 2 mm-hmm. tell us about that process is it just a numbers game or is it you know, a, a really three-dimensional set of, of 
data slash feedback, how do you decide whether a show is successful or not? Yeah, you know, we had we had in our early days, like everything we launched was successful. And I think we got kind of like, oh, this will always be this way. <laughs> and the truth in media is like you're going to you're going to you're going to make a bunch of things and some are going to work and some are not. And the idea is not to get to the point where you don't have any failures. Actually, that never happens. Mm -hmm. Um or it happens very, very rarely. Um, what you have to be good at is making sure that when you have something hit that you are able to make it big and then managing the portfolio in a way that is, um, like, disciplined. And um, so, yeah, the first show that we had to cancel was, like, very painful. And now it's not a numbers game. So now it's... Um, we look at, is the audience growing? Like, is this feeding into something that people want? We look at how big is it, but also is it growing? And then we look at the, um, like the economics of the show. Every show has a profit and loss statement. And then we ask ourselves at the end, like, is, is this something that we creatively believe in? Like, do we think it needs to exist in the world? Does it feature a voice that feels distinct and unique in a way that um, we just want to exist? And that's part of the discussion as well. It seems like the early podcasts were almost always we come out every week, you know, we're going to be on this day, just this kind of very standardized programming. You guys really helped pioneer the season approach. Uh, you know, how do you feel about that trend? Is it something that you think it's obviously safer because you're compartmentalizing your budgets, your your you know passion and your timing, and and it makes it a little easier to say we're going to stop after that run? Um, do you feel that that's the future? Or do you think we'll always have a little of both? I think we're entering a time where we'll have more of both. I mean, the a seasonal show. Um, we do do a fair number of seasonal shows. So we do a show called Startup that's entering its sixth season now, and it'll have a 10 to 12 episode run, and they'll go and come back. A Heavyweight mm -hmm. is a show uh, hosted by Jonathan Goldstein um, where he goes back into people's pasts and revisits moments where their life changes and tries to explain what happened. That's a seasonal show. It'll go for eight or 10 episodes, and then it'll come back a year later. Um, and, you know, regular release shows are like a reply all that comes out, you know, most weeks. Um, I think they offer a kind of companionship that listeners want. Like one mm -hmm. of the reasons people listen to podcasts is because they want someone to hang out with on their commute or during their workout. And so being them being there for listeners every week or every day, I think is very valuable. And then the economics of a show that comes out every week or every day are just really different than one that can only come out 10 times. And so to support a seasonal show, you either have to get to a huge audience or you need to have a platform that is essentially paying to license it, to paying to have, have it in a window or paying to um, have it exclusively. Speaking of kind of where and when people listen to podcasts, when do you, when do you have the time, I feel, when you're running a network of podcasts? When do you prefer to listen and when do you get to? Uh, I listen on my walk to work and my walk mm -hmm. home from work. And mm -hmm. then I listen on drives or I listen when I'm cooking or doing dishes or cleaning up around the house. Yeah. And I have found also that with the appearance of AirPods, I I. I find I'm listening in more parts of the day for shorter periods because it's easy to just slip them in and listen for like 10 minutes. And I can almost fool 
the people around me that I'm like, I'm there and I'm like doing my thing because they can just barely see the little white. Uh-huh. I mean, it's airplane. literally your job though. Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen. It's literally my job, but sometimes I'll be in the kitchen. I'll have, the only thing about AirPods is they look really uncool. They look yeah. like super terrible They're and very it's embarrassing. Bad. I think mm-hmm. most of the people here in the office think I'm like just the like, <laughs> lamest person. And I'll just put one in my ear um, and then I'll just make sure that they can only see the other side. <laughs> So, like, I'll be in the kitchen, like, cleaning up or cooking, and my wife will be talking to me, and I'll be turning my head so that she can't see that I'm also listening to a podcast. Sorry. Sorry, Ellen. Yeah, is that better or worse than just owning it? Because then you're half listening, and I don't know that that's going to... It's true. It's true. I mean, I've come to terms, basically, with the fact that some of the best relationships I have in my life are with podcasters. Mm. Podcasters that you know personally, or no? No, both. Yeah. Both. I mean... And this is what, you know, I grew up on the, I grew up listening to the radio and I think looking back on my childhood, I I mean, I had friends, I had good friends, but the best, some of the best relationships I had were with like the sports talk people that I listened to on WEI or the Eric in the evening who hosted the jazz show on WGBH in Boston. And, um, and that's the thing about the medium of audio is it's a very personal connection that you end up having with the people you listen to. And I just, I still love that about it. You know, it's it's funny when we launched this podcast, uh, the obvious thing was to do an interview podcast. And believe it or not, you're one of very, very few interviews we've ever done. Uh, it is normally just a conversation among the folks who who work at Adweek because we felt that there were a million interview podcasts out there featuring CMOs and whoever else that, you know, you can go find that. They're out there. They're fine. What we really wanted was something that conveyed the fact that we love working with each other. Like the Adweek team is really close. Uh, we talk all day, whether it's on Slack or Twitter or everywhere. We really enjoy spending time with each other. And we just wanted to kind of open up those con- – because those are the most fun conversations. And Lord knows we're not going to open up our Slack to the public. <laughs> but but we can open up like a yeah, one. Yeah, not going to that we don't get subpoenaed in like what would they find? What would they find? Let's, just, let's move on. I ha- I'll, I'll say a Slack channel I've created. It's called New Smell because I wanted to know what everyone's lunches were. And so sometimes we put in our guesses of what that new smell is. <laughs> and, and, Camaraderie is what our Slack And are. as someone who works remote, I enjoy the new smell discussions <laughs> and trying to figure out – what, what is that? My smell? guesses are always wrong, but it's it's, it's a you know a mystery solving slack more than it. anything. So one thing I, that uh, sorry I lost my thread. I'm not, the, now I'm just thinking about the new smell. It's like <laughs> this is a 2005 Kia Sportage exhaust pipe smell, <laughs> and no. this is like rotten banana under a mm-hmm. baby seat smell. Yeah, we fit right in. We brought mm-hmm. in a yeah. papaya wrapped in bacon and put it in Sammy's desk just to see when <laughs> yes. she figure it out. <laughs> Um, let's talk about what advertisers look for in a podcast. This is something uh, even advertisers, I don't know if they if they know what they're looking for. Is it just they want to hear a big number? They want to hear obviously a tonal fit. They're, they want to know that this podcast is going to match up with the audience they're looking for. But beyond that, do they care what percent of the audience skips the ads? Do they – I mean what kind of data are they asking for? Uh, I mean, when we sell to advertisers, I would say we're selling audience and the audience at Gimlitter, we categorize them as the unreachables because they are, you know, median age of 31 years old. They watch a lot of television, but they watch on Netflix and Amazon where they don't see ads. And then 65% of them use ad blockers. That's across the shows. And then we do sell show by show. We'll sell across the network, but we'll also, so if you're a, if you are a tech brand and you're trying to reach um, like developers or business decision makers at the CTO level, that's Reply All. Like that is who listens to Reply All. It's a mass show with a mass audience, but it also has a hardcore like technology audience. If you're um, 
trying to reach business audiences, that's startup. If you're trying to reach, if you have a product that is has a lot of tender love and care that went into its design, but people don't totally appreciate that, then you want Every Little Thing, which is a show all about the hidden wonder all around us. And so we find advertisers that have products that need explanation, um, are attracted to that. And then, yeah, they're looking at at how we're, we're essentially selling eight-week downloads, so we're selling a certain number of, um, a certain size audience. And every, every show at Gimlet is big, so we don't, we're not aggregating a middle tail or a long tail of shows where you don't quite know where you're going to appear. Um, you know, we only have 12 shows, and they're all, they're all, they all have reach. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm getting this one wrong, but I want to say I heard a New York Times crossword ad uh, in uh, Science Versus, maybe. Yeah. Yes. And I was just like, what a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that. they nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, a you know, crosswords are for, like, curious, smart people who have habits. And mm-hmm. podcast is a habitual activity for curious, smart people, so. Let's talk scripted uh, shows. That's certainly been a trend, yeah. uh, both within Gimlet and Out. Uh, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. I don't. I don't love it. Mm. Uh, I don't love fiction. What have you listened to? What? Um, well, I listened to the, uh, a little bit of Homecoming. I've listened to a, a few others, um, but I make it through about one episode. And it's hard for me. I only read nonfiction books. I should mm-hmm. put that as a big caveat. So it's one of those things where I personally. So I'm not judging the the category, but it's one where I, what I've always loved about podcasting is the realness. You're not the judging; you just don't like it. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really judging it. I'm like judging people to, who who enjoy it. I'm trying to accept this fact, and uh, okay, I don't so, like it either. <laughs> so, well, t- say me before Matt weighs in. Like, what's uh-huh. your take on this trend? I mean, it's uh, fun. So, like uh, we were saying, growing up, like listening to radio or whatever, I would listen to like my grandma would read books and record them on cassette tapes, and I'd be like four years old, screaming from my bedroom to please turn the tape over so I could listen to it again. So I kind of grew up with storytelling in my ears, and like I listen to podcasts to fall asleep sometimes when they're designed to be that way. Uh, so to me, hearing stories that way is very natural and very fun. And depending on the genre of fiction, it's great. If it's too spooky or, uh, you know, maybe I won't listen. But, you know, in general, yeah. What has driven this trend? Is it just that it feels like an area worth exploring or has there been demand for this or or your early experiments found uh, some some good traction? Uh, what do you think is behind that, that trend? Uh, I mean, I think the macro trend is that you, because podcasts are on demand, all of a sudden you're able to tell kinds of stories where you can depend on the person having heard all the episodes. So it's a little bit of a throwback to the radio of the 1930s and 1940s when there was actually appointment listening. Like people would get into their living room and sit around the radio. And so you could know that people knew the characters because they would listen every week at that time. Um, Radio doesn't really work that way now, right? Like you may hear something, you may not. Um, And so it all has to be... um, uh, you have, you know, if you're doing, if you're listening on linear radio, you have to assume that they haven't heard the thing that came before, um, a week before or a month before. So part of it's just the on-demand nature it allows new kinds of storytelling in the same way that like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu um, have allowed a certain kind of storytelling on television to flourish. Um, 
And then for us, yeah, we had launched this show called Homecoming, um, which was a government thriller, and we found people loved it. And, like, they were binging through it and talking about it, and it felt very new and fresh. Mm -hmm. And it played with um, voice and timeline and sort of chronology in a really interesting way. Um, and so we wanted to do more. We just released Sandra, which is a... Um, a uh, well, I call it a dark comedy. It's kind of a dystopia about a world in which um, we're surrounded by smart speakers and they're not, we think they're driven by AI, but they're actually driven by real people. And it goes into the world of call, a call center um, in the heartland where the actual people behind the device, Sandra, um, live and work. And it stars Kristen Wiig and Alia Shaka and Ethan Hawke, and it's also been a hit for us. And so our feeling is like it's a whole new category where the rules have not been written yet, and it feels very exciting and wide open, and we want to plant a flag there. So, Is it easy to fall into a trap of content that you, you know will work? I mean, you guys could – you could have cranked out 10 more reply alls uh, <laughs> focused on uh, 10 different you know, you know, types BCC, of – CC. reply to me (laughs) you you know but i think it was interesting when that's the one that got me hooked on you guys um and and yet you did not copy and paste that template across the board copy and paste yeah that's another (laughs) hot banger coming out i mean it's not a template so that's the thing about reply all is like it's it's a um god it's such an amazing show and it's it's something that they recreate every week and I think they are really driven by doing really excellent work and doing great storytelling through audio. And so they, they have some segments that repeat. Like they have a segment called Yes, Yes, No, where they explain Twitter. They have a segment called Super Tech Support, where they'll solve someone's tech problem. But they will also veer into very surprising corners of the mm-hmm. Internet. And of the and, world. And of the world. So, yeah, <laughs> actually, Super Tech Support, I think, you know, ended up being a two-part, two-hour-long series where one of the hosts, Alex Goldman, um, you know, was receiving spam telephone calls from India. And instead of hanging up, he actually started a conversation with a person on the other end and ended up going to India to try to find out what was behind that whole world. And um, it's an amazing story. It's called Long Distance, if you search it. On what, what was happening, by the way, we named that one of the best podcast episodes of 2017. And I remember as we were writing it up, I was thinking, what was the approval process? Did he come to you and say, so here's what I want to do? No, they definitely do not ask for, nor, I mean, they don't need or nor would they ever ask for my approval for anything. Um, Even to just pick up and go to India. Yeah, you know, that they, they, that show is, um, I think part of the thing that makes that show so successful is like they follow their own urges and they follow their own curiosity. And um, I think that was a show that had been worked on for, I want to say, eight or nine months. And I don't think they thought it was going to be anything. It just, it was something that Alex started recording. He started recording his conversations with this guy on the other end of the phone call, this Indian guy. And I think he didn't know what it was, but he kind of kept going and kept going and kept going until it became something more that they wanted to take on as a story. But you did not answer the question about why you can't scale this approach. Is it just because Alex and PJ are so, you know, are they are they so unique that you just can't find this kind of of you know tandem to tackle? And you like a like I was saying, you you very easily could have launched a bunch of shows. Or here's two people sitting around talking about this topic, um, but you guys obviously did not. So so what is it about that that makes 
it either makes you not want to scale that out and create 10 more reply all clones or uh, that, that you know, makes it not a viable option. Yeah, I mean, look, I if I could, if we could create four more shows that had you know millions of listeners and a ton of tr- commercial track, uh, ton of commercial traction, and was making a big impact on the culture and generating a ton of storytelling that had value as TV and film, we would do that. Um, I mean, our business is we do have a scalable way to make and launch successful shows and manage the portfolio in a way that like makes for a good media business, um, but. Ultimately, it's a create. It is a creative. It's a creative enterprise, and so I think the thing that you said, which was like you could have repeated this and had a couple people sitting around talking about different subjects. That that's that's how it feels. The show is sometimes, but it's not what the show. It's not the show is not a couple people sitting around and talking. It's actually like it's it's essentially it's a mix of conversations they have, but also like documentary is storytelling essentially. Yeah, and it's what separates you guys from all these podcast networks where you go to where it very much is a copy and pasted. Like it looks like we are the the network of two dudes talking about sports and here's every sport, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's a uniformity to it that's probably nice and predictable. Well, and, but... and to get really good at that, you have to have those two hosts. You have to cast those two hosts in a way that where they have chemistry and tension and where they have a where their voices break through and then they are able to frame segments and get guests that feel fresh and interesting in a way that makes you want to turn it on. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, two people talking about sports, but there's only one um, pardon my take, you know, because those two guys are very unique in their, like, and they have a strong point of view on, like, what's going on in the world of sports, and they have a strong way of satirizing it. One last question I want to make sure we covered is, in the broad strokes at least, what is the process of launching a new show? Where does it start with we've identified a gap? either in content or audience, or does it start with, hey, here, this would be a fun idea, and then you you ask the hard questions about whether there is, you know, support out there for that. And do you think there are too many podcasts now? <laughs> There's uh-huh. so many out there. <laughs> How? Um, yeah, good question. So we come at so on, on the first question of show development, we come at it from both ends. We both look at what are the audiences we think are underserved, and then we start asking ourselves, what could we make for those audiences? But then we're also just, we are going to, we will find hosts or ideas that we just feel we have a lot of conviction about. And a show like Heavyweight, um, where, which is a storytelling show, um, essentially, it's sort of a mix of personal memoir and documentary, but it's unlike anything else. Isn't it? It does not fit. It, it doesn't really fit into a category and no amount of market research would tell you like, oh, we should do this show. It came from Jonathan. Like he had an idea. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible storyteller and a, a creative force and we believed in him and so we made the show. Um, and so we're coming at it from both ends. And then in terms of our process, we have a piloting process. So we will um, we'll try out ideas. We'll make an episode or a couple episodes and then have a, you know, a, we, we have... Uh, a, a, a go forward or do not go forward decision based on sort of um, how it sounds to us, how repeatable it is as a production, and then we'll also get input from the outside. And you're doing a new project where that's almost, was it Casting Call? Yes, we're making a show with Squarespace called Casting Call, and the idea is to make the American Idol of podcasts. Mm. So to go find the next podcast star. And within... Uh, a couple weeks of announcing it, we had 2,000 submissions 
5,000 submissions, I'm being told now. 5,000 submissions of people who said, hey, I have an idea, and they wrote in with a description and a piece of audio, and we'll be working through those to identify a series of, um, I don't know if they're using the word contestant, but people who were going to run through the process, and then ultimately one, uh, we're going to pilot a, a number of them, and then one will actually win and get a Gimlet show that we'll make a season of. Um, and we're super excited about that. I mean, um, to answer your question, Sammy, like, are there too many podcasts? No, I don't think there are too many. I don't think there are enough great podcasts. Mm -hmm. I think there's actually quite a, more room for good podcasts in new categories with new voices. Part of the idea around Cast and Call was to find voices that um, don't have a platform but should have one and elevate them and give them a bigger audience. Um, podcasts are still... We're still in the very early days. You know, it's 27% of Americans listen to podcasts every month. And that is growing double digits every year. And it's still the case that there's no, um, you know, there's no definitive way to listen to podcasts on Android. Uh, and there are a couple of big platforms that are standing around the edge of podcasting, trying to figure out how they can grow the number of people listening and improve discovery and create and and provide better experiences. So I think when, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, and Amazon all look at this problem and say, how do we solve it? That's going to lead to a lot more listening. I, I would rather try to carry pudding across New York in my hands than share a podcast episode with someone. It is like one of the <laughs> hardest things to do. You know what I mean? In yeah. social, yeah. there is the technology is not there. So whenever someone says, oh, you have a podcast, send it to me. I'm like, well, just I go to can't. iTunes. <laughs> right. Here's our our bit.ly that you can, you know what? Follow it's, this treasure map. So yeah. I, I agree. I think there's so much technology yeah. that can catch up just to make it. But I mean, how do you share, share a television one. show? Like, how do you share a show on Netflix? Oh, that's a good point. You tell people like, oh, I'm watching this great new it's show. It's word of mouth. It's or word Twitter. of mouth. And yeah. people know then to go to they know where to go on the platform to search for it and watch it and i kind of i don't you know i've there's been a lot of efforts by really smart people to try to figure out how to make podcasts shareable how to make them social or how to make audio viral um none have really worked to my knowledge mm -hmm. and that's because i think fundamentally like social media is very visually driven and this is an invisible medium um i don't think that means that people aren't going to discover it i think it is just going to be driven by you know, the good old-fashioned stuff. Word of mouth, having breakthrough creative, mm -hmm. um, giving people a way to talk about shows, things like that. Do you, last question, do you have a message that you want to send? The Can Lions is coming up, which is when all the major advertisers and a lot of the brands gather uh, in June. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, Ira Glass has gone multiple years to try to convey a message to brands. What's your message to the brands who have maybe been slow to put a toe into the water of supporting podcasts? If you don't figure out audio, you're going to be left behind. Because if you look at where um, if you look at where consumers are spending more and more time, the hardest ones to reach, they're spending time listening. And it's not just podcasts. It's also music streaming. So it's also Spotify and Pandora. And increasingly, it's on Alexa and Google Home. And if you look at the adoption of smart home devices, it looks a lot like the early days of smartphones, except faster. So, like, uh, smart speakers have have reached, you know, the 50 million user number faster than um, smartphones did, and way faster, of course, than television, radio, cable, um, and other media. So, 
I think figuring, and that that is increasingly how people are going to search. It's how people are going to buy. It's how people are going to get information and hear their stories. And so brands need to figure out what their voice is on all those new audio platforms, or they're going to get left behind. Right. Well, Matt Lieber, co-founder and president of Gimlet Media, thank you so much for making time. Thanks for, us. for having me. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and wait, how did you two know each other? You never, we never. Oh, the, we go way the back. Base, the industry. You no. Know. <laughs> My people know his people. It's very shadowy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah.